Hello, welcome to another Happy Startup Community podcast. So we live in this crazy, fast-paced, frenetic, complex world where there seem to be ever-growing, intractable problems. And gone are the days where one lone genius is going to solve them all. We're going to have to come together and cooperate and collaborate and find creative ways forward. And in order to do that, I, I believe that we're going to have to learn how to manage our conflicts better. How can we handle disagreements? On this podcast, I talk to Max St. John, the founder of Being Wild Things. He runs a course called How to Fight Well. And we talk about what it means to have healthy conflict and how to manage and deal with the the challenges we have when we're not listening to each other properly and he gives us some handy tips around noticing being curious and creating space so if you want to find out more listen on you're asking questions aren't you um <laughs> i have got a lot of purple spray and broccoli just coming through which i didn't expect at all um, ah, yeah, new recording started. And uh, some carrots. These are all stuff I planted last year, not really knowing what I'm doing. I'm making everything up as I go along. I'm a clueless smallholder. Nice. Um, but yeah, the job, <laughs> the job now is to basically, we had the three, we've got a three acre field, um, which has just been pasture. So just used to graze livestock for, I don't know, 25, 50, 100 years. Um, I've carved a bit of it up. We had to go around with a tractor to dig these beds out uh, and I've just been constructing these raised beds, these sort of wooden panelled, like, uh, what do you call them? Like massive troughs almost that you then fill with horse manure and compost and then that creates a really good, just the perfect conditions for growing a veg. So hopefully come midsummer-ish, we should have lots of lovely peas and beans and lettuce and things like that. Wow. That, that feels like properly creative mm, it, it is do you know what there is nothing like gardening or growing food to give you a sense of that um uh the 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 real the realness of life the real things in life take time and mm. in fact i was also thinking about um so we've got these coppiced hedgerows which if you don't know what that means it basically means somebody planted a bunch of trees to um divide off our land from the land next door and then they cut them down to a stump so that they can grow these lots and lots of different little trunks and then that becomes a hedge um and that's been left to go a bit wild and it's very very old so it's really gnarly and um a bit fucked up so i've been going through that and trying to basically get it to a place where we can rely on it as a source of firewood because we've only got um wood burning stoves in the house we haven't got any radiators oh yeah. wow um gosh but the thing i realized doing it is like um i'm having to make choices with what i cut so which uh which little uh little branches i cut and which bigger branches i leave i have to make choices based on what i want to be in place in five or seven years time hmm so whereas in most of my oh my work, god this is, it feels like a whole analogy for a new way of doing business the clueless smallholder and time and nature working with it but if you think about your work with them the happy startup school then really 
there's probably a whole, you know, if you take a step back and look at it in a different way, there's a whole undercurrent of stuff that's happening, which is only happening because of what you did five or so years ago. Yes. Um, It's just that the stuff that feels like urgent or that that feels like it has impact is only the things that you can feel in your body and you can see right now. But actually Mm. the the real stuff, the real grist to the mill, the real fuel or energy for what you do is the stuff that you put in five, seven years ago. I think there's another sense I think I get from where you're talking about what you're doing on the farm and what I I think people get detached from is this sense of a, a longer rhythm. Yeah a longer uh, wave of energy. Yeah. Uh, we're so caught up with trying to make things happen, trying to force things happen on a short time scale and making the world come under our control. Yeah. And there's and I get a sense from the way you're working, it's like actually I just need to follow this this wave. Yeah. I I can't make the hedge grow faster. I can't yeah. make the peas come out at yeah. a certain time. Yeah, yeah. I need to accept and adapt and then use that and go with that energy. And there's a Chinese um, uh, proverb or little tale that you've probably heard it. It's the farmer who um, feels like his crops aren't growing fast enough, so he runs out to the field to pull them to make them grow faster, the, the little shoots. And before his family can stop him, before his son can stop him, he's gone out and he's pulled them all up. Um so yeah, a quote. oh, so many, so many deep messages for our superficial. Well, <laughs> well, you know, that rhythm thing, I think is really interesting. You'll get this because you understand sort of the nature of wavelengths and frequency. But one of the things that wasn't working for me so well in Brighton was the frequency at which I felt things were moving or vibrating, like the, the way we were sort of moving about and just the way everything was happening. And it kind of resonated with a kind of a high frequency within me. And I thought, oh, we'll come to the countryside because... Well, when I got here, it was clear that every that wavelength is just much longer, much, much, yeah. much longer. So it's much slower. Actually, what happens is it completely exposes you to whatever's underneath and the fact that those wavelengths, those high frequency wavelengths are within you. It's that whole wherever you go, there you are type thing. And so mm. this very slow and uncomfortable um, molding and stripping back that has to happen, I think, if you live here. Um that can sometimes feel very anxiety inducing because I'm still connected to a world that's moving at a million miles a minute. And it was all about mm. results and likes and shares and sales. And I have, mm. have a foot in that world because I need to make money and that's where my audience and my clients are. Um, but I'm surrounded by, uh, absolutely surrounded by suffused bathed in a world that does not move at that pace. And could- I love that world, the suffused. Yeah. It, this place just couldn't give a shit about how many likes I get or whether I'm going to make enough sales by the end of quarter one to cover my overheads. It's just like, yeah. nope. You no. can't do a Facebook campaign to accelerate your pea growth. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. No, absolutely. But, uh, so I, 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 feel that, uh, I feel a really clumsy segue here. Um, yeah. There's a, this idea of resonance, um, idea of tuning into your own frequency and this thing about um where where our own individual frequencies can sometimes interrupt and interfere with each other and not being aware of that how where the where that 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 frequency exists Mm. so you talk about uncovering and unearthing that Mm. and how that can unconsciously spill out 
in the way we interact with others because we're unaware of these other frequencies or these the way we really operate yeah um and and the clumsy clumsy segue <laughs> is down to the whole. Why are we talking to each other, Max? Why have I got you here? Other than the fact we tried to record this last week and it <laughs> went supremely wrong. Yeah, the Cornish internet gremlins came and dismantled everything, didn't they? And I, I, <laughs> yeah, I ju- I've just had a pasty, so that should see us through somehow. The magic of pasties will support our endeavours, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Why are we? So for the- so for, I would say for the purpose of anyone who's who's just stumbled across this conversation and, and they, they, they're they not familiar with my podcasts and why they exist, um, hopefully they heard the intro that I'm going to pre- post-record and put in the front of it. Uh, what they want to know, though, is, is who are you, Max, mm. and what is it you do? Mm, who am I? Um, well, I am Max. I am... Uh, I live in Cornwall on a four-acre small holding with my two children, um, who are four and seven. We moved here from Brighton uh, about 18 months ago, where we've been living for 12 years. Um, I guess I'm a, a trainer, a coach, consultant, facilitator. Um, a lot of my work is focused on conflict and specifically this idea of healthy conflict. So how can we recognize the conflict as a natural function of coexistence and instead of making it a problem that we need to uh, avoid or suppress, how can we lean into whatever it has to offer us? So I, I teach that uh, online and in person and I coach people in that process. Um, and I do a bunch of other stuff with organizations and sort of leadership and change work and things like that. So, yeah. Oh, and uh, one of our sort of commonalities is also I practice Kung Fu and uh, Chinese internal martial arts. I practice Qigong and Neigong, which is kind of on the meditative, mindful side of um, martial arts stuff. And that's a big, actually, that plays a big part in my work as well, in in a way. Nice. So, um... One of the so the title I created for this podcast and uh, it's based on the work is is the idea of fighting well. Mm. I think it links to what you're talking about in terms of conflict, and I like the link to the martial arts because most people think kung fu is about kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we dive deep into that and uh, and understand that whole idea of of what it means to 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 have healthy conflict, um. What it's, it's a bit of a weird thing to weird. I made a judgment there, but it's a, it's a it's an, a different thing that not most people uh, would would understand or see how you get into. What, what is it that attracted you to to this kind of work, and essentially what what's drawn you to to doing this work for with mm. people and for people? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I could probably talk for hours about that. They, I guess, he's got lots of different routes. Inevitably, a lot of them stem back to sort of early childhood and you know how I how I developed as a human being. Um, and I think you know my vivid memories are playing mediator um, in lots of different situations. But I've got a very vivid memory in particular of uh, being in the middle of an argument between my parents actually, and uh, uh, and just being totally surprised, baffled, 
and scared at the time. I was, I was quite young, but totally baffled by the fact they didn't seem to be understanding each other. We have this kind of shouting and, you know, back and forth. And I could understand exactly where both of them were coming from. I just had no idea why they couldn't hear each other and why they couldn't have that sort of shared understanding. And um, I think whether we realise it or not, for everybody, this is where our sort of relationship with conflict and difficulty starts is in these early formative experiences where our, our brain is um, sort of forming all the important neural pathways and helping us understand who we are and how to navigate the world. Um, uh, I guess, you know, in the martial arts thing, I grew up in a, um, a grotty suburban town. Sorry, anybody who's from Watford, but it, it is grotty. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, I was, as a, an adolescent adolescent man, I was fairly fearful with lots of fights and muggings and that sort of thing. And I, I figured martial arts was a way of being tough and maybe even avoiding conflict because somehow people would know that I would, or sense that I was a, some sort of tough martial artist. So that was a something in hindsight now that I can see is a, um, uh, yeah, something that feeds into my relationship with conflict and and how I came to understand myself and this work a bit better. Um, I mean, professionally speaking, if we're in a job interview or we're in a place of soulless death that is linked in. Um, I would say that I left, I went to university to study music technology. I found out there were no jobs. So I got a job in marketing, like I think 80% of my generation. Um, I worked in big digital companies and I saw how dysfunctional they were. Um, it was just post um, the dot-com bubble bursting. Um, and this thing called social media had to kind of come on the scene. People were getting very excited um, and so I ended up working through a series of sort of consultancies and agencies and through that time just got increasingly interested in why things didn't work better. And um, particularly when I was in my mid-20s, I had a um, an episode of quite significant uh, mental health issues, left me feeling very anxious and very stressed. And it was that, it was that incident that kind of cracked me open and led me to ask questions about who I was, how I was, and how could I find a way through work and life that worked better for me and worked better for other people. And I think it's all kind of, I say flow, I was going to say it flowed from there. It's not quite that straightforward as I'm sure everybody, when most people listening to this podcast can relate to, it's, it's very rarely a sort of a simple, easy flow. But in retrospect, I can see how the things that I took took on the the job roles, the running a company, the training in nonviolent communication, the um, investing myself in leadership and change work were all really just a way of trying to understand who am I, who are you, and how do we work together better? Nice. So I I think some well, I can imagine I'm gonna project into some other people when you hear the idea of fighting well, it's about how can you win an argument in the most effective way possible and be right. Yeah. But um, what I hear from what you're talking about here, actually fighting well is really about understanding what's driving you and motivating you into reacting and then finding a way to, with that, we're using that knowledge to find the most effective outcome to this friction that's happening. And I can remember talk, we talked um, the last time when we were talking, the idea of rubbing up against each other or... Mm. <laughs> 
I've used that metaphor too, Sophie. Thank you for that. It was really helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah, de- definitely. I think you, know, you used the word awareness a lot in the beginning of this conversation and um, it might be becoming overused. I don't really know, but um, I guess maybe the definition of unhealthy conflict is uh, unconsciously just reacting to everyone and everything that comes your way that makes you feel a bit irritated, frustrated, angry or scared, um, creating distance between you and those you live and work with and just going around in circles, playing out the same patterns of behaviour and wondering why you're not getting anywhere. And I think my take on healthy conflict is bringing that increasing sense of awareness to how am I reacting in this moment and what choices are available to me and what choices best serve me, this relationship, this work, this project, whatever it is, and to have... um, just a different way of leaning into difficult conversations. Mm. I think you, um, your wonderful metaphor of, because um, I was talking about edges and I was saying that um, I often use this, this idea that we are in conflict when we reach the edges of our understanding. So we, we kind of, somebody says or does something and it's outside the field of our understanding. And so what we tend to do is, bounce off that edge and throw it back at the other person so we feel scared or angry and we'll take that out on the person who seems to be the causing the problem but if we can recognize that actually it's over that edge lies sort of something we haven't yet understood about ourselves and similarly the person who we're with the person we're in relationship with um if they're triggered, if we're in a conflict together, then the chances are they've hit some edges and this is our opportunity to um, to find out and see more of who they are. And you, the wonderful thing you did was talk about, well, this idea of rubbing up against each other, like our edges rubbing and that creating sparks or friction. And I was thinking about our, our common or habitual responses to see the sparks uh, imagine there's a fire, uh, panic, and do everything we can to put it out or run away. Whereas what we can instead do is see those that friction and those sparks as like the the beginnings of possibility of more learning, more connection, or even more creativity. Um, so yeah, fighting well is knowing that when I'm triggered, uh, I have a choice about how I respond, uh, and knowing that the choice I make can be one that brings more connection understanding creativity or it can be one that keeps me stuck in whatever pattern that i'm in mm. so yeah so the 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 kind of people that i'm hoping are listening to us have this conversation are either at the beginning of building a new business starting something new or they're they're growing something or they, they're, they're trying to expand their impact or they're thinking about the next stage up, whether they're looking, all right, I, I need to scale what I'm doing and I'm going to have to rethink how I am at work. And I'm going to kind of link it in one way is like throughout that journey, um, you're looking to navigate the chaos, not only of what to do next, but also what is it I want? What mm-hmm. is it I need? Mm-hmm. And you're also navigating the chaos of working with many other people who have different wants and needs. Mm. And at some point, you're going to rub up 
against someone and sparks will fly. <laughs> and so within that context, I was thinking to help maybe someone understand how they how this, this whole idea of conflict works. Is there a way of sketching out a scenario or a story that that will help them get a bit of appreciation of what, what's happening during this yeah. interchange? Yeah. Uh, I laughed because the, one, the first one that comes to mind, all the ones that ever come to mind really are, are about my wife, me and my wife. And <laughs> that's the funny thing. I teach this work to CEOs, chief execs, um, and also you know to mediators, facilitators, coaches, parents, teachers. Um, and it doesn't matter why they're coming on the course. They always, at some point, we end up talking about their partner or their home life or whatever else because these are the places where we have most attachment. And then we attach most of ourselves to, so they're the most difficult mm. relationships. But it does equally apply to our sort of working space. And I think the reason is, particularly for the kind of people who might be listening to this, the people I've met through a happy startup school and I can relate to, is when we're doing something that's meaningful, it's really a, in some way it's a creative expression of ourselves. It's a really personal thing. It's not just going to the office to do a job because we're a bit good at it and they'll pay us some money, which gets us some nice holidays. It's a totally different ballgame. So when we do experience, um, I don't know, maybe it's uh, we're doing our, our 30 second elevator pitch and somebody says something that we could perceive as being a bit negative it can really hurt and it can start to create conflict or, you know, somebody, I'm trying to think of another situation or scenario. Um, I don't know. We're trying to form a partnership. We're trying to do some sort of strategic partnership work um, so that us and the other person can somehow get our needs met, grow our business. And we've got different ideas about how that might work. We can sometimes again, feel very triggered by that situation because it might, we might perceive that person or the conversation to be standing in the way between us and maybe freedom or uh, a sense of meaning and impact in the world. And I think that's the thing that I, I want everybody who comes into contact with the work to understand is that when we think it's about the other person, it's really just about uh, a need for us that's not being met. So in that um first situation with a we're doing our elevator pitch and somebody says something that we might deem to be unkind or negative uh we might find ourselves reacting very strongly to that you might feel a tightness in the chest you might feel very defensive or irritated uh, you might be thinking that person's uh rather uh, i don't know um irresponsible or whatever but really what's happening in that moment is that really we would love this work to be accepted and loved by everybody who comes into contact with it. And those words that that person just said, you can be perceived to be getting in the way of that. If we just focus on that person and their comments or their actions, then one of the things that's happened is we put all of our power uh out of side of ourselves and onto somebody else. We've said, well, um, I'm feeling irritated or defensive and it's that person's fault and um this feeling isn't going to go away until i convince them that actually it's really really good uh, <laughs> or that they're being really mean and actually we can't control other people um there's probably something very useful behind what they said 
but while we stay with our reaction and convince that they are the problem, we um, we're not able to find out what useful information they had that could help us maybe sharpen our pitch or grow our business. Um, and we are like stay triggered, um, tense, stressed in a room where there might be another five other people who would really love uh, to know more about what, what I'm doing and how I'm presenting it to the world. But they can't hear that because I'm focused just on this one person who said something that was a bit mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is that a helpful example? Yeah, and no, I think <clears throat> what what springs to me, or I think the thing I might I think might be of interest to people is this idea of being triggered. Mm. And you you talked about uh, you know these needs or these unmet needs that trigger these emotions, but um, I feel there's something there as so whether you're in conflict with your with someone else or potentially in conflict with yourself because you have yeah. some self doubt <laughs> that's coming yeah. up. there's this idea of a trigger that and this emotion that comes up and so maybe speak to that is like well what how does that work what's that mechanism you you touched on it a bit before yeah yeah and it's in my i think with a lot of this kind of work uh it can sometimes feel a bit soft or nebulous or spiritual um the way i i like to explain it is is very much sort of based on um, very pragmatic view of how we develop as human beings and how we operate in the world, how we find our way around. I mean, when I love the word triggered because we can think about triggers, which is stimuli, events, words, actions outside of ourselves, things we bump into that then somehow trigger something within us. So trigger, and I think about it as triggering a state. But the reason we get triggered is is Well, think of it this way, you and I could be triggered by very different things. So something that makes me suddenly feel very, very angry or very, very scared might have no meaning to you whatsoever. Hmm. And the only reason that can be possible is because somewhere in my life, in my development, I experienced something that was similar enough that caused a very difficult experience for me and laid down some kind of script. And we use these scripts to navigate the world to understand who we are, how we relate to other people, what will keep us safe, essentially. Um, But the thing is that we then, uh, those scripts get triggered by events in the present. So when I am triggered, when somebody is triggered, I think of it as triggering uh, a a state, like that has a past state that hasn't been resolved. Um, What happens is uh, from a sort of um, physiological perspective is there's there's a chemical reaction and there are changes in the body so uh, it will trigger our fight or flight response Uh, we will um, you know feel the adrenaline the heart rate increases blood gets pumped to the major muscle groups in case we need to fight or run away and so we are that is the totality of our experience is this triggered state with these uncomfortable um, and urgent feelings and we just want to make them go away and which is why we react the way we do why we get into these you know unhealthy is a yeah maybe a negative way of putting it but into conflict that doesn't necessarily serve us or makes us more stressed or tense or creates more distance in the relationship because we're reacting to this past unresolved scenario and we're feeling these horrible feelings in our body and we just want to make it all go away yeah 
I th- and that, I, I like the way you've linked it to the way I understand it. Um, sometimes unknown states or mm. states that we're not clear about why they, where they came from or what exists, but they just create this feeling. So we're triggered. We get this feeling. But at some level, it feels uncomfortable, and that's when we react. But it might have nothing to do with what the person said or what the person is trying to say to you, in a sense. Yeah. It's very uh, much about your own past, an experience, or a state that's dormant in you. Yeah, definitely. And I think that sanity is recognizing that um, whatever's happening outside of you, whatever the other person has done is not, it, and everything you put onto that is your assumption and your projection. So the the practice of learning how to, to fight well, if you want to call it that, is just getting increasingly better at recognizing that, being able to notice and accept your own reaction is not to judge it and try and squash it down so it comes up somewhere else, but to recognize it for what it is, respect it for what it is, and then lean into what's really going on and to learn how to ask really good questions. And that's what the thing I've learned from yourself uh, and kind of looking into more of this, this work of understanding how our needs and emotions um, motivate our actions and how we can do that consciously and unconsciously is when when talking to someone i can remember in the past i would felt this need to be right and mm. so i had this kind of combative mode of talking mm. <clears throat> and realizing uh actually there's something there there's that need and now whenever that feeling of anxiety or there's this kind of bubbling well of energy mm. that needs to come out there's something mm. that needs to you know be forced out and actually being able to realize actually this might not be anything to do with that per- what that person said mm. and it's all to do with me and a need to be right mm. and then be able to sit with that notice the feeling like you said but still listen to what the person is saying because before in the past at some point basically the 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 sound would go muffled and all i could hear would be in my inside the words i want to say and i haven't heard a single thing the rest of what the other person is talking about and then i'm just waiting for my turn to just be right when in fact actually now it feels like if i'm able to just sit with an uncomfortable feeling but tune into what the other person is saying i actually then hear what it is that they're trying to do and then work out actually what's potentially going on in them and what can i say to find out even more if i'm right about what i think they're trying to say does that make sense yeah, yeah it does i think you, you know the the first pattern of behavior the sitting there the voices become muffled and you've got an internal monologue about how you're going to tell them that they're wrong and you're right yeah. i think that you know the we are we're conditioned to act and behave in that way and we're surrounded by it um, we, uh, you know, stick on Radio 4 and put in stick on the Today programme. I gave up listening to that because I was just so fed up with hearing people do that over and over again. The quality of dialogue in the public sphere is just absolutely abysmal. And it's because everybody's doing that thing. Like, who's right? Who's wrong? You're wrong. I'm right. You know, it's just pointless, absolutely pointless. Whereas the second approach that you talked about, the way that you're um, – you're leaning into conversations now is is fundamentally different it's it gives you the opportunity <laughs> i like the way that you still tacked on the end uh, to find out actually if i still am right 
Because uh, <laughs> it's hard to make, it's hard to let go of that. But I can't let go of it. It's hard. The same thing is to recognise that you you were never right, and you will never be right. The only thing you can ever be right about is your own needs or your own experience. But you can't be objectively right about something. And and when we can be a bit more okay with that, a bit more okay with that, then instead of having conversations about who's right, we can have generative, constructive conversations about what's going on right now. You know, which is much more open and much more full of possibility and creativity than trying to work out who was right about a particular topic or subject. I like. I, I was trying to search for the words here when we we're talking about what this your work does. Is like when you have a, an interaction between two people, it feels like there's t- one of two ways. You either contract and mm. go into a mindset of scarcity and fear, yeah. or like you said, it becomes generative, expansive, and open to all sorts of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and and you know that's why I do this work in in any of the work that I do, whether it's the conflict work or. Um, uh, I'm a really big fan of Charles Davis's How to Be Clear work. I do a lot of that practice. And it's because I've never put it like this before, but I want to live a generative life. I want other people to, I want to offer people the opportunity to live a generative life. And that can only happen when uh, when we're not in stuck in this uh, view that there's a life is a zero-sum game where there are winners and there are losers. And if you've got something, that means I haven't or... Uh, I need to have it off you or, you know, whatever it is, because it's it's fundamentally untrue from my perspective. It's not how nature works, not how the world works. It's a construct. And and it's just miserable. It's a miserable way to live. And to be honest <laughs> with you, I spent enough years feeling miserable and, and I'm done with that. Well, I love I like the way you brought it back to brought it back to being happy. <laughs> yeah, it's all about being uh, happy, inverted commas happy um and i and i think the other thing of when you're talking there about um uh working with others making the world a better place that's what i heard was that the the space for where it's generative and expansive that's where creativity mm. lies yeah. uh and in a world full of what seemingly intractable problems it feels being able to fight well mm. i.e be able to have generative conversations where they're in situations of discord uncertainty and lack of clarity that's where we're going to start fixing things or being able to start even thinking about how understanding how to fix things that's definitely how i see it and so there are two things here for me one is um one is that i i i think i think uh fingers crossed touch wood i think I don't need to save the world anymore. I spent mm-hmm. many, many years uh, thinking that it was my job to save the world, and that's a that is a scary and um, stressful place to live because you can't save the world. There's no world to save, and it's outside of your control and responsibility, and it's all your projections, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, the secondly, I, I that is that is why I, I really want to invest in this fighting well and this practice of having different kinds of conversations because nobody ever changed because you proved them wrong (laughs) nobody ever changed because you shouted at them and if they did it was because they somehow then felt a bit ashamed and shameful and they probably took it out on someone else Mm. people change because their understanding and their experience changes as a result of um as a result i think in relationship at least as a result of feeling heard feeling understood and then being able to hear and being able to understand but in 
in the shouting match that we have at the moment, whether it's on the radio or the TV or the internet, no one's no one's changing. Everybody's just becoming more and more rigidly focused on their yeah, entrenched in their view of the world, and and that's the opposite direction we need to go. And I think I've I feel at the moment that. Um, that what the world needs is more people who can just let go a bit and bring a bit more ease and calm into the world because then we can have the conversations that matter. I feel like the, that thing about intractable, intractable problems, we face some massive challenges, you know, that you can't get away from what the data tells us about our climate, for example. Mm. Um, but that's not going to get fixed by us getting scared, anxious and acting from that place and trying to find... <laughs> And telling body, everyone you're wrong. Telling everyone you're wrong. You haven't got the answer. You don't know who's wrong. So, you know, how do we, how do we ease up into the conversations that matter? Nice. So what I'd like to do is leave people with maybe uh, some some hope of how they can contribute to, <laughs> to this world of better listening and better being. Um, so t- t- have you got any silver bullets, oh. handy tips? Silver bullets, handy tips. Um, yeah, right. I, I actually, I wrote down, I think I wrote down three things you can do. There are probably 10,000 things you can do, but, um, I, I don't agree with my notes. So I'm going to think off the top of my head. My top three things are firstly, just begin to get really, 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 really good at noticing. There's this word, uh, that I think is used increasingly now, which is noticing. And, um, I think to to change or to work differently with yourself with reality, you have to first get really good at noticing what's going on for you and how you're reacting. So if you can, as often as you can, practice almost being that, um, uh, being the video camera, uh, recording, watching your thoughts, your feelings in your body, um, your urges, especially in conflict when you feel triggered, and instead of buying into it just watching it because that level of um that practice of becoming a bit more observant of your experience rather than allowing it to take over is the one that creates that little space in which we can have a bit more freedom and a bit more choice um second is yeah getting curious so uh getting really really good at um not trying to find answers or solutions, but ask really good questions, whether that's uh, of yourself when difficulty shows up, asking, oh, I wonder why I feel like this, rather than, ah, it's their fault. Um, <laughs> I wonder what's going on. Um, but in, actually, I sometimes find it more useful to ask questions of the other and find out more about what's going on for them because I find that cuts through and dispels all of those niggly little voices or judgy you know, rants in my head. So getting really good at being curious and asking good questions of other people to understand the motivations behind them, what they do or what they mean. Um, and then the third one is uh, actually relates to where, where we ended on our conversation, I think, especially right now um, with the sort of always-on culture, just make more space for yourself. Um, conflict happens much more frequently when you're a bit stressed and a bit anxious. And so uh, if everybody's always on and everyone's a little stressed and anxious, then the chances of conflict uh, coming up, uh, difficulty uh, are much, much more likely. 
So how can you make a little space for yourself in your life? How can you spend more time with yourself, for yourself, just not doing very much, doing something that gets you back in your body, away from a screen? Um, All of these things will create um, just a much more solid base for you to work from. So, yeah, practice noticing. Notice your experience. Watch it rather than let it take over all the time. Um, get really curious, get good at asking questions of people to understand their experience, why they're doing what they're doing, why they said what they said, and then looking after yourself, you know, mm. um, eat the right food, give yourself space. Don't treat exercise as a functional sport to um, optimize your muscular something or other, just, you know, get in your body and be in your body. Um, I think those are three things that can really help. And of course, there's, I've written loads of stuff. So there's loads of stuff to read and mug up on if you want to. Nice. Well, I was going to lead on to that in terms of, you know, as any good martial artist knows, there is knowledge and then there's practice. <laughs> and so if someone wanted to practice this more and learn more about this work, how could they do that, Max? Mm. Oh, this is the, the shameless promotion. AKA. This is the shameless promotion part. Promotion. Okay. Well, um, I said, so, like I said, I've written a bunch of stuff if you go to medium.com forward slash uh how to fight well let me just make sure i've got the url correct because that's helpful <laughs> well I, I can put those in the, sh- uh, the that link in the show notes that's cool. that's a good idea uh if and if you go to how to fight well.com you'll find uh, which i've launched today uh, yay! Yay. I run online courses. There'll be a self-serve course coming soon, but the group courses are really, really, really nice. They've been really productive and about 45 people go through that in the past 12 months. Um, I'm based down in Cornwall. We have our own accommodation uh, retreat space where I work with people privately one-to-one. So that's always an option. Um, but yeah, read, practice, try things out. Um, yeah, for yourself as much as for anybody else. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much. Very Max. Thank you very Max. Very Max. Thank you very Carlos. <laughs> and on that, screw up. <laughs> I really hope nice. all of you got something out of this and um, see you on the next podcast. Nice one. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you want to find out more about what we do, then check out our website www.thehappystartupschool.com You'll find out more about our community, the courses that we offer, and also the conversations and content that we're trying to create to help you get clear about how to build a purposeful business without burning out. So if you're trying to balance the money and the meaning, creating impact and avoiding imposter syndrome, then join us and our group and tribe of like-minded, caring, compassionate and flawed entrepreneurs on this journey trying to work out how to make money, do good and be happy.